Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Greetings listeners and starfighters. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to take on Zor in the Codan Armada, is my trustworthy navigator, best friend and co-host, Greg, I mean, Aaron, excuse me. I <laughs> I was not prepared to like do a Grig voice, and I don't know that I could, even if I tried. <laughs> well, you have to do the... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there like, it is. Yeah. It's absolutely... It sounds like you're like going to cough yourself to death with every phrase that you speak or something is he a navigator is that what we call him because he's like flying the ship i guess that would be the navigator yeah he's the navigator because he's the one that you know powers everything he's he's the i think he's the goose so you could say to... it's the flight of the navigator the star flight of the navigator no we're not doing the that. last no. star flight of the navigator of the navigator's ah. eagle <laughs> <laughs> let's see how many 80s uh flight movies we can get in one title <laughs> It's Intron wow. Sting. Sorry. And, that was, oh, man. Oh, was bad. That, that was really that bad. That was really bad. Okay. <laughs> cut that out. Let's, no, don't cut that out, because I like when people know how the sausage is made. <laughs> well, this week we are kicking off two weeks in anticipation of Top Gun Maverick by hanging out in flying aircraft, or in this case specifically, spacecraft, with our conversation of the 1984 sci-fi adventure, The Last Starfighter. Before we get into that, though, dude, what's been up with you? Oh, man, I really quickly just want to mention this fun thing that I did last week. I got to be a guest on a podcast. I don't say yes to a lot of guest appearances, just mainly because I'm extremely busy with my own stuff, recording three or more episodes a week. But I was asked to come on this podcast that I've admired from afar for a while. They're called the Suit Up Geeks. I have no earthly idea, really. I think it's like a suit up like it's got a, an exclamation point so i think it's kind of like a comic book reference because they do a lot of comic book type coverage so like you know suiting up as a superhero well anyway they asked if i wanted to be on one of their movie drafts and they do this kind of a league it's similar to what you know we have done different structure a little bit but they run these drafts and then they work their way towards like a championship of each season it's really cool stuff and the one they asked me to be a part of was a fantasy movie draft, which was going to keep Star Wars and comic book movies ineligible, which I loved. And I'm a fantasy guy, right? So this is perfect for me. So I said yes and recorded this thing, the draft, and then like a two plus hour post-draft conversation all live on YouTube on Wednesday night, one of my first times being live. It was so much fun. I think there was, I want to say 10 of us drafting in this thing so it was a little bit of a challenge i had the second pick though which you can imagine made me very happy because that meant i was going to get one of my two choice lord of the ring films or princess bride so one way or another i was going to get something that is in you know my top two ish films of all time well the guy with the first pick took the wizard of oz which was shocking and also he got bounced pretty quickly. Uh, but that left me my pick of the litter. So I ended up getting Fellowship of the Ring, which made me very, very happy. And I have been now in this draft. So I went through a couple of rounds. The first one wasn't too tough. The second round for me was the final four. I had a bye. Um, but in the final four, I ended up against uh, this guy who has the two towers. Or no, I'm sorry, against the guy who had the Return of the King. And he had an incredible lineup, and it was a barn burner. We're talking 180 total votes on this poll, and it was, I want to say, 50.3% to 49.7% in my favor at the end. We were both texting friends furiously in the last 10 minutes and calling in Twitter help and just the it just kept changing Patrick it would be like he was up one I was up one back and forth it was it was intense and <laughs> I pulled it out amazingly right and I was so proud and so now I'm in the championship my first ever draft with them and I really want to win it 
I'm now up against the guy who has the two towers. My lineup is Fellowship of the King, Your Name, The Mummy, It's a Wonderful Life, About Time, and Mary Poppins. I believe I have by far the strongest overall, most diverse, varied lineup of critical acclaim and popularity, but I'm getting beat out right now by The Two Towers, Princess Mononoke, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the original Jumanji, the original Aladdin, and Kung Fu Hustle. So part of the problem is when it comes to Twitter, it feels like the cinephiles are not out in force voting for me. (laughs) It feels (laughs) like the classic lovers are not there. It's all the people that are like, ooh, Disney, click, right? So if you're listening to this first thing on Monday morning when it's out, hey, come to the Feel and Film Twitter. You'll see a bazillion links to this poll and vote for me. I would appreciate it. I really would love to win this. I think it's going to be close in the end. I do. I think this is going to end up being another one that is right down to the wire. But man, I had so much fun and I'm so proud of this team. It's probably better than anything I've ever drafted on our own podcast. Go figure. Glad that that the Feel and Film name is on here because I would endorse all of those uh, without question, even though you referred to Fellowship of the Ring as Fellowship of the King just now. So I'm guessing you were thinking Return of the King. But, you know, I, it's, you know, it's Lord yeah. of the Rings. It's all good. It's all good, man. You got, they you got do. love they here. Together. You got forgiveness here. And, and I voted, obviously, to to put you there. If I had some bots on my side, I'll call Elon and see if he can maybe hook me up with a little bit. And, and see if we can I should have taken something there. from Zack Snyder. That was the kicker, right? <laughs> you, just, you take Zack Snyder's movie, and then you, like, call in the army, and you're good to go. Yes. Somebody is. did draft Sucker Punch. She went that route. She tried. <laughs> we let her get Alita, which was ridiculous because it's not fantasy. It's sci-fi. We get, we let her get Alita, which has a huge Twitter following, the Alita Army. She picked a Twilight mm. movie and she had Sucker Punch. And she still, like, all of the hashtags couldn't even save her in the first round. And she got crushed. She so got Sucker Punched is what she got. She <laughs> Yes, she did. <laughs> So that was my big thing that has happened to me in the last week that was a ton of fun and somewhat related to movie podcasting. So thought Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of this episode, just uh, wanted to shout out to myself because um, every Friday we've been making it sort of an unofficial tradition. It's become a tradition. We'll get pizza as a family and then to give my wife a little bit of decompression from the week. Uh, she'll take a bath or just kind of hang out, work out, whatever she needs to do. And my son and I will queue up a movie that he has not seen. That's the rule. And I've been trying to go through older movies that have been favorites of mine, not necessarily like blockbusters or like, yes, you should watch this. But we're talking about movies that I grew up watching that for all intents and purposes are not like great, but they're fun and they're accessible to him as a nine-year-old. So we've done stuff. Like well, we watched Miracle a couple of weeks ago, which he liked, and uh, I was excited. He he liked that. He was like, "Who is this hockey team?" And I said, "Yeah, we're gonna have to tell you about that. It's it's an Olympic movie, so you gotta love that." And um, last week or this past Friday, we watched Goonies for the first time together. And you know, as a as a point of reference, I always have to kind of give him a little bit of a heads up, like, "Hey, there's some salty language here." But as I'm figuring out, he's less concerned about that, and he's more kind of sensitive to the scary images. So he takes after me a little bit. And so when he saw One-Eyed Willie for the first time or when he saw (laughs) Sloth for the first time, he's like, is he a bad guy? I said, no, he's not a bad guy. Watch this. And it was, of course, when he's yelling and throwing the baby Ruth at Chunk and it's a lot of fun. And so for the most part, I think he's been really enjoying it. It's been a really fun little journey of going down pretty much 80s movies (laughs) with him. I did not... Uh, get him into Last Starfighter. I will probably do that at some point. Uh, I think he would enjoy that. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna keep keep rocking and rolling uh, with, the, with the movies that are out there. That's awesome. That is yeah. that's great. Now I, I I'm so glad you're doing that. And I bet you he's gonna be like kissing diarrhea. <laughs> what the maybe? No, don't do that. Maybe fast forward the part Lewis? where the, the kid, somewhat close to his age, is like reading all the playboys he's not reading them he's being they're being hidden. well you're right he's, he's not reading them, them. <laughs> he's back to he's sleep not. lewis or tell mom about your he's playboys. not doing it for the articles 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess we spoiled that. <laughs> so here's the point of the uh, the episode where we do get spoilerific, as you are prone to get used to, or prone to be used to for us. And um, go watch the movie; it's available to rent, and you may own it on Vahas or DVD or HD DVD or whatever the uh, the iteration is. It's been out for a minute, so <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Do yourself a favor and uh, and take care of that. Come back and join the conversation, and we'll get right into it. All right, so we're going back, 1984. This is the age of Spielberg and Lucas. This is the age of uh, computer-generated graphics in their infancy. And we get this uh, this movie directed by Nick Castle, who, by the way, played the original Michael Myers in the 1978 Halloween what the year? Yes. <laughs> I have Nick Castle facts written down too, and that was not one of them. That is wild. I, I I may have to be fact checked about that. I need to fact check the fact the fact check the fact checkers. But I believe Nick Castle, yes, played the original Michael Myers. I could be well, wrong. He, he also directed such films as Major Pain, yes. which is incredibly different than this. And he is the writer <laughs> of films that are known and beloved, like Escape from New York. Hook and August Rush. So a little bit of an interesting career for somebody that I did not recognize by name. Yeah, he is um, he is prolific for sure when it comes to the filmmaking industry, whether on the writing side or the directing side. I was surprised like you at seeing his name kind of all over the place. But uh, but yeah, you know, he directed this and it's a it's a quiet sci fi movie, I guess, in the in the age that it came out was not really well received. And I think part of that is because it was riding the coattails of, of star Wars, Indiana Jones, ET. And, you know, in hindsight, I, I can be very honest about this and say that it wasn't the greatest sci-fi movie, but it was my sci-fi movie. It was a, it was a sci-fi movie that I grew up with. This was a staple for me around the house. I absolutely fell in love with the story, with the visual effects and I thought that it really kind of set the tone in watching it of being like, I was a kid and this could be me at some point. Like, if you look at Star Wars, which essentially this movie sort of follows loosely, you've got Alex Rogan, Luke Skywalker, two characters who are coming of from nothing and they get kind of thrust into this uh, adventure. I'm going to side with Alex Rogan because I don't think I would be able to relate to being a farmer in an intergalactic uh, you know, wasteland and then get sort of thrown in with a lightsaber <laughs> and thrown on a galactic cruiser and all this other stuff. Alex Rogan, I think, is one of those characters that's relatable. He comes from a trailer park. He's playing video games. These are all things, not specifically. I wasn't living in a trailer park, but I remember playing video games. And The Last Starfighter was one of those movies that had a rhythm to it. And I remember just quoting it left and right because I would watch it anytime that it was on TV I would watch it we'd rent it at the at the video store and I just I really look at it as one of those movies that sort of defined part of my childhood in terms of that fantasy aspect it was easily accessible it didn't feel like this epic fantasy it wasn't like a space opera like a Star Wars or an Indiana Jones it didn't feel so global it didn't feel so intergalactic it really felt like hey this is a local story that has an international flavor to it and an intergalactic flavor to it, but it wasn't so big that I felt like I couldn't connect to it on a personal level. And so watching it this time around, Aaron, I really fell in love with it even more. There were things about it that I, I caught early on. I didn't realize that Alex Rogan or his mom, they were the managers of the trailer park. I always wondered, why do they always ask him to fix the problems? Is he just a good Samaritan? Is he just being taken advantage of? No. He is actually the caretaker. He is the one that they have to call on when things get messed up. And so I have a little bit less sympathy for him in the fact that, look, if if uh, someone's cable's going out and she's got to watch her soaps, you need to take care of that man. I'm sorry, Crystal Lake's going to have to going to have to wait. Yeah, so that's an interesting point because I think it goes back to what we talk about all the time, which is the difference in when you watch it as a teenager growing up and you're in love with it and when you watch it as a 40-something-year-old adult with responsibilities and a lifetime of experience and kids and wives 
or a wife, if you're lucky, uh, and other <laughs> such things that have kind of paved the way for a different view. And I found that happening to myself in the same way, thinking about the trailer park and Alex. And, you know, I, what I mean is we grew up being like, go have fun with your friends because that's what we would want to do if we were them. We would have been thinking about it the same way Alex was. Or, you know, go be rebellious and crazy and reckless and do these amazing things and have these adventures. And it's a little bit of a different thing here where we think about the responsibilities more than we would have in the past. And it's funny that you brought up Star Wars and Luke because one of the things that I particularly made a connection about when watching it this last time was how much Alex and Luke have somewhat of a parallel. And these movies came out, you know, very close by to each other. They're both sort of naturally talented and gifted at this unique skill. Alex being good at video games, but doesn't have an application for it that goes beyond just fun until he gets recruited. And then you know, Luke has an inherent, you know, the ability to use the force and that has to be kind of brought out of him and then used in a way that is there to help others. And they both live in a remote community. They both are dreaming of the stars and getting out of their current situation. You know, Luke wants to go and explore the galaxy and Alex wants to get out of the trailer parking, not have to just go to city college. He wants to go see the world. And then they're both in this like loop of ultimately helping others. Luke is all about doing chores for, you know, his aunt and uncle. And then you've got Alex, who's all about doing chores for the community. And it's just really cool to see that parallel. And I, I have to think that it was intentional. And ultimately, I love the way that they created his character because we get some really special moments in this movie. They're little things that I probably never paid too much attention to when I was younger, but now they meant a lot to me. And those are the scenes, both at the beginning and at the end, where the trailer park comes together and they cheer him on. One, when he's beating the game and they're like gathered around him and rooting for him. It is a family and I love the depiction of it there. And then the second is when he comes down. And they all gather around and just the way that they express themselves, even in their own individual, you know, versions of like surprise as to this alien, because there's some really funny differences of comments there that are happening when they see Greg and the spaceship. But like they're they're there and they're wanting the best for him. It's almost like a, a community full of surrogate parents that are there in addition to his mom. Maybe instead of his dad he's got like this whole community of people and they all appreciate him and respect him and want the best for him and i don't know it's just a beautiful depiction of that that for some reason really stuck out to me yeah i was doing a lot of research on this movie uh just a couple of uh, corrections nick castle played the shape in halloween which i think is referred that's michael myers, myers. that's michael okay. myers that's what he was called. Because I'm looking at the cast list from Halloween. There's other Michael Myers. Didn't have a name yet. Numbers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's just go with that. So correction there. You were correct. Also, I said Crystal. Uh, I said Crystal Lake because I guess I got horror on the brain. That's Friday the Thirteenth. Jason Voorhees. It's Silver Lake. Sorry. So don't hate me, Twitter or whoever hears this. Just yeah, forgive me on that one. But when I'm watching this movie and I'm reading this stuff on him, he fully admits that a lot of his inspiration came from those stories before him i mean 77 was when a new hope came out and he he goes on record as saying look you got lucas who ruled the 80s spielberg ruled the 80s and you start realizing all of your ideas really do get inspired by these other guys that came before you but he's unapologetic about that look you can tell the same story with different elements and i was actually having this conversation today with some people about they were talking about Harry Potter and how they don't like that. And I said, but you like Lord of the Rings, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. I said, well, it's, it's a similar story. You've got this hero's journey who has a posse, and they have this heavy mission that they have to accomplish. And Frodo Baggins is Alex Rogan, is Harry Potter, is Luke Skywalker. I mean, they're not interchangeable, but they're the same kind of character. 
And it's what appeals to us as human beings. We dig that. I think James Harleman talks about that in his book, Cinemagogue, where that hero's journey archetype that lives in all these big epic adventures is okay to be refreshed. And I think that when you watch The Last Starfighter, it's a complete story. While we do get the idea of a sequel or the future, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's Alex Rogan's story, and it comes to fulfillment. So I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that you can use those same kind of story elements, those same kinds of characters. And as you mentioned, Aaron, the trailer park posse, all these people, you've got Otis, you've got Granny Gordon, you've got Clara, you've got Mrs. Boone. They're all busybodies. They all know each other's stuff and they care about each other and they care about Alex. At some point, you kind of think, man, they take advantage of him. But the fact is, one, it's his job. And two, they appreciate him. They like having him around. And it sort of played for laughs when his baby unit shows up and just screws up everything. Like, who fried my electric? <laughs> it's like somebody can't watch their soaps. And so being able to see how they come together, particularly in those two scenes, I think exemplifies the fact that this trailer park is a family. They all know each other. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's going to be moving on. And that's what makes Alex different. In fact, there's this really great moment, I believe, at the end of that sequence he's helped everybody and you hear dialogue from people thanks alex i appreciate that and he goes back to his house he's sitting in his chair and he's looking and this is a great i remember this scene so vividly from my childhood he sits back the wind starts blowing and he sees the solar system start kind of moving around that mobile but in the midst of that you can hear dialogue behind him of these guys getting ready to play cards and he's mouthing exactly what they say why because they do this every night it's the routine and it's that mundacity that is comfortable to the people that he's living around but not to him and that's what spurs him and that's what gives us that believability that city college and shining a pickup and getting <laughs> drunk and throwing up every saturday night is not the ideal thing for him and of course it thrusts him into this moment where he plays this video game constantly and he eventually breaks the record of the Starfighter game. It's really great because everybody in the community digs that. They think it's great. And he goes and tells his mom, I finally broke the Starfighter record. She goes, oh, that's lovely, dear. <laughs> I felt that way as a kid. Right. I was like, exactly. Mom, I, I was like, I beat, you know, I beat Mortal Kombat. I saved Princess great. Peach. Yeah, right. <laughs> Did you put so, the laundry away first? I don't, yeah. I saved Princess Peach. Dang it. Can we focus? Can we, can we, can we just, can I have a moment here? I'm going to yeah. sit on my, I'm going to sit on my, uh, you know, my bench here and I'm going to, I'm going to rock and I'm going to enjoy this with my girlfriend yeah, exactly. who, you know, so the things that we value, if you live in a trailer park, like starlight, Starbright, you're going to, you're going to take value in, in the little things. And, um, and I, I love that starfighter game, man. I am so sad that we actually never got a cabinet version of that game. And I read that at the time, the the graphics and that kind of interface, that ability to do those 3D renderings was just too expensive. There was a company, I, I figured I found this out, that actually produced or is producing, I think it's been on hold for several years. They were gonna produce a cabinet version of it, but they did produce a PC version of that game that you can download freeware. I've got a copy of it. I've been trying to check it out, but it's like shot for shot. You've got the dialogue, you wow. reading Starfighter, complete with the opening oh my sequence with the scrolling. Oh, I gotta find this. Yeah, it's really cool. I'll send it to you. But um, but Thank I love that. I mean, the graphics in that game really just kind of almost sneak previewed what we were getting ourselves into. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the CGI. So this is 1984. I believe 82 was when Tron came out. And this was the first big use of CGI was Tron. And that's really kind of where we give accolades like Tron did this and and all that and I and I I have no beef with that our Tron episode with the retro rewind guys we completely gushed over it because it's a great movie and it makes good use of CGI where I think the last Starfighter does it a little bit better is that it doesn't overdo it so we see for instance with the star car fantastic practical production design of the star car I believe it was mimicked after the DeLorean which I cannot complain about and it 
not smoothly necessarily, but there are really great transitions between the physical star car on the ground to when it goes into the air and then it eventually flies into the galaxy and goes through wormholes. I I don't know if they ever describe what it is, but it gets to Rylos. And I think overall, watching how this stuff plays out and seeing the sort of world building with what I think is good use of CGI, being able to show the frontier, being able to show off the different types of spacecraft and what they're used for. You have a cargo vessel, you have you know, the obviously the Gunstar being kind of the, the big thing, but even down to Centauri Star Car, I thought that the way in which Castle and Company incorporate CGI, it wasn't a showing off of technology. It really felt like it enhanced the story and it made it feel like a fantasy. It made it feel like a sci-fi thing because in the 80s, this stuff was not on your screen. You were pixelated and you were you were looking at pixelation. You were looking at uh, guys in just cheesy like flight suits here and there. And that's definitely part of this movie. But then you add that sci-fi element with this 3D, like almost like virt- early virtual reality type stuff. And that really set it off in terms of like my enjoyment because I was like, man, is this how spaceships are going to be in the future? Because Tron was cool in that it took you inside a video game or inside a computer. This was like, if we're talking about, quote, realistic, this is like outside our world. This is like, wow, there could be spaceships that look like this in the future. So it gave us those possibilities that I'd love to see a Lego version of the Gunstar. I thought, I think that would be something amazing and I would definitely make that purchase or to get some kind of like die cast version of it. I think that seeing this stuff in that digital form, I don't know that you could, without a blown up budget, have a practical version of that. And so I thought the way they used it was was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I was a big fan of the CGI. So I popped in my old Blu-ray and I mean, I hadn't watched it in, I don't know, four or five years. And for some reason, I just assumed it was going to be a little faded looking and maybe not foggy, but there's a kind of a lack of coloration in Blu-rays that I tend to notice nowadays when I watch 90% of the things I watch in 4K or a movie theater. And this is gorgeous. I mean, it is crisp and clear. The blacks are black. The colors pop just like in Tron they do. And I was really impressed, not just with the CGI, but I think what made this work in the way it did is the blend of CGI and practical settings like the Kodan Armada's mothership and Zur's outfit, the Kodan's armor, the things that they're wearing, just little set touches like his scepter. They shoot this in a way that is intentionally focused in on the characters and not as much showing you what's around them. And so it lets you fill in those details. And so you may just be seeing on a stage the mothership's like bridge design with the central console and them standing around it. It's fascinating. It's really cool looking. And that's all they have to create. They don't have to create this intricate thing like Battlestar Galactica where you've got 15 different types of compartments that they're going to be in. And I think that that served their purpose well. You just had a very minimal amount of settings in space that were physical. And then you had your CGI elements, like the car going through space, obviously the Gunstar, the Death Blossom going off, which is incredible and memorable. The Meteor Gun, you know, the, the wall, the frontier. Reminds me of the one in the MCU in... Guardians of the Galaxy, I think it's it's Nova Core ah. has a very similar wall. I always yeah. wonder about that frontier wall. Like, is this how is it? How do you like put a wall around infinite space? Like, I don't. Like, yeah, there's got to be a way to go around it somewhere, right? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> random thoughts. But I just thought that the the mixture was so well, and then the balance overall of just time on Earth, time in space inside of a building or structure, and then time in space in the ship. 
there's a really good balance of that and really, really expert pacing in this movie. You don't have time to start nitpicking it and worry about it. And my, you know, complaints about the movie, they're not really even complaints. They're just, you know, minor things that I think clearly could be a little better, like Zur in his characterization. He's a very bland, undefined villain. He's just an angry, petulant child. I mean, he's fine. Like, yeah. That's a fine reason to have somebody angry, but it's there's nothing interesting about that part of the story him, himself, really. So, but like, they're just minor things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just, it flows so well in the CGI. Like I said, when it's there, you're able to really enjoy it and not get too nitpicky because it's gone in a flash and you're you're moving settings back and forth whereas something like tron you know you have to live in that world for most of the movie so it's going to be all cgi and it's going to be or it's going to be there frequently and you kind of it has to all be perfect or be right to keep your attention even star wars is a lot like that because you know it's maybe closer to this but anyway i i just thought that the cgi was really it held up way better than I was thinking it might. Yeah. And I think that balance of being able to show it off when you need to enhances the other practical stuff, because I think that there are movies that don't need to quote, hold up that they can be appropriate living in their time period. This is one of those movies. This feels very eighties. Like I remember thinking, this is such an 80s movie. I, I I literally thought that very phrase. This is such an 80s movie. Very much. And then I asked myself why. It's because the effects, the characters, the costumes, the sets, the dialogue, all of it is very much reminiscent of what the world would look like from a 1980s perspective. And that's completely okay. When you watch a movie like Tombstone, I never feel like it's a 90s Western because it feels very much like a Western and it's supposed to like I don't see 90s stuff happening because the Western genre, unless you're doing something kind of clever, like putting something like Westworld or something like that around it, like those kinds of angles, you're putting yourself in a position to let it live up to the genre. The 80s isn't a genre, it's an era. And so the movies that come out of that really do feel very classic in that regard. The story itself, I think, is, as we mentioned before, universal. The idea of wanting to get out of the same old rut, wanting to see the world. I mean, this is something that's repeated over and over again in movies today. These com it's a coming-of-age story in some ways. Very primitive, but it's a coming-of-age story. These characters are round enough that I don't have to care about every one of them. I care about Alex Rogan, and I care about Grig, and I care about Centauri, which, by the way, I absolutely love Robert Preston in this. I fell in love with him in Victor Victoria. I'm so sad that this was his last on-screen appearance, and I, I really want to do myself a favor and actually go back and watch some of his earlier stuff before this, because Me too. his character in this and Victor Victoria are pretty much the same kind of sarcastic, bombastic, charming, suave. It's it's really, really great. And I believe when I watched Vic, Victor Victoria, it was after this one. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, even though it actually was filmed before, I was like, that's Centauri. And it's just really great. Zur, played by Norman Snow, here's a little trivia for you. He's actually from Little Rock, Arkansas. Why? Of course, the one ridiculous guy. My mom actually went to school with him, believe it or not. <laughs> he went to North Little Rock. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think she knew him, but it's kind of like my claim to fame of sort of knowing Jeff Nichols because yeah, we I were think in that's a musical a together and he, and he punched me in the face for the yeah. musical, not like because I was being a jerk, although I might have been. But anyway, that's a different story altogether. But I, I really like this cast. I like the fact that none of these characters, none of these actors are people that we know that we're not attached to. This is the movie that has all these people in it. Robert Preston's the only one that I think had that kind of presence. And I believe the cast mentioned, there was a, an article that mentioned that the cast loved him. They loved having him on set because he 
brought that kind of experienced acting chop to him. We also, if you didn't know this, this was the first time I figured this out, Will Wheaton is actually in this movie, if you didn't realize it. He originally had speaking lines. They were cut. And there are two scenes that you can see him. One is very brief at the very beginning. He's in a blue shirt or something. But the other is at the very end, you see this clump of kids on the right side in the wide shot of the community as Alex is getting ready to take back off on the, uh, in the gun star with Maggie. He's on the right side. So he's not clearly visible, but he is credited in in the movie as, quote, Lewis's friend. So Will Wheaton is in this movie is a That's sci-fi crazy. appearance. Yeah, I would have never yeah. got that. Yeah, I agree with you on the cast. I think there is something unique about that that helps this out big time in that it is characters that we don't associate with anything else really whatsoever i mean i hadn't seen anything else with robert preston so for me it's just his and i would like to check out his filmography as well but yeah it's you know and then you get the great dual role from lance guest who plays himself and beta himself the the android or robot and does some good work early on in the you know playing these two different versions slightly different personality types there's some great scenes, specifically the one where they're both talking and Lewis is in the room and he's <laughs> he is talking differently, right, as Beta. And then he has to mimic the perfect delivery of line that Alex says when he says, go back to sleep, Lewis, to make him think that it was the same guy. And then there's that great scene where he's working on his head on the table. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Again, with CGI kind of thing, where it's like this, his head is there and he uses his hand to shake it and turn it. And it's just, I don't know, it's just so good. After It's after he sees the uh, the alien, the Zandozan landing, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I found that to be funny. They're called the, the Zandozans. This movie is like so cliche sci-fi in that way where all the alien things have to be named after lesser used English words or sounds. And okay. so, you know, you, you got to use the Z's and the like double G's and like some of these weird uh, yeah. uses that aren't exactly so common um, for yeah. the different ver- ver- or versions of their, you know, things that they're using anyway. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought that the cast was really great and just knocks it out of the park because yeah. They all perfectly slip into their roles, and they're all they're mostly just so small, like it's mm-hmm. just a bite sized movie. That's that's part of it, you know. Yeah. I think if they were making this today for the first time, not a sequel or something, but like if somebody approached Hollywood and said, "Let's make a story about a kid who played a video game and goes into space." I mean, from what I understand, Armada Ernest Klein's other book that came in between ready player one stories mm-hmm. is similar to this. I've read a little bit of it. I haven't finished it would make sense because of what it's called, but like <laughs> it would be, it would try to go so epic, Patrick, the scale and the scope that they would attempt with it. It would be a hundred million plus 150 million CGI budget. They would have to get somebody that is, you know, a young, hot, actor star probably somebody who was on the disney channel at one point and like (laughs) it would try to be so big is what i'm saying what makes the last starfighter work is that it's small and it is comfortable and cozy and you truly just feel like you got to know some of these people and you would just want to go hang out sit around a campfire outside Mm -hmm. this trailer park and have some lemonade and play spades with this group of people and yeah talk you know and I, I don't know i just i really enjoy the entire aesthetic and kind of vibe of the the movie in general yeah and i think that going back to the comment about this is quintessentially 80s if you tried to update this if you did a remake if you were to do this for the first time there would be more questions that you'd have to answer because we don't live in a world where you have an arcade cabinet anymore. You now have VR. 
You now have mobile games. You now have the accessibility of using that concept of recruitment via video game could work, but you're going to ask so many other questions because there are so many other variables with regard to what kind of game is it going to be? Is it going to be a first-person shooter, which would make sense if you were being recruited for some kind of military operation? But what if it's a mobile game? What if it's like Pokemon and there was something interesting about that? So there are so many other complexities that attach themselves to that concept that I think would get lost that you'd ask so many questions about. And I think Ready Player One, as an idea, gets at that, not that concept, but I think it's successful both in book and movie form to be able to execute that because it has to be big. I mean, it just has to because that idea is a big idea. But with this one, I, I like that you use the word bite size because it's a satisfying morsel at an hour and 40 minutes. We get enough world building that we don't have to ask about these other things. Although my curiosity gets piqued because we get introduced to a lot of alien cultures. Like So when, when Alex goes to Rylos and he sits in that recruitment meeting, uh, that recruiting uh, presentation, there are at least seven other different aliens that are not him. And he uses the, I forget what the translator device is, but uh, I just kept wanting him to go kita, kita all the time. But I, I think that when you have something that's this compact, it allows your imagination to think about these other worlds that are under the threat of Zur and the Kodan Armada. Yeah, and Earth's not even the Star to... League. We're not even exactly. in Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're on the bench, man. We're relief pitchers at this point. Greg's like, even Greg... wait until yeah. you evolve a little bit. <laughs> Get smarter. <laughs> You're not there yet, guys. <laughs> He's just being real, man. He's just being real. And it's okay. It's okay. But you have all of these different things that get introduced. And it's, I mean, I say this quite a bit. When I see something that feels that bite-sized, it would make a great series. So you'd have this star, you wouldn't call it, you'd call it Starfighter. Or you'd call it Kodan or you'd call it the Armada or something or, or Rylos and Company. I don't know what you'd call it. But there's a lot here. The thing is that I don't really want that. I don't really want to know more about all these other cultures. I just like the idea that they exist. I like the idea that there is this thing out there that is a threat. And somehow we get accidentally pulled in as human beings to be a part of this. And the ability to play and beat this game legitimizes this character. Because you're right. Earth is in no way involved in this directly but you had someone like centauri who is essentially a the recruiter and he comes out and says yeah this game was supposed to go to vegas so it must have been fate that it ended up here in some trailer park with tumbleweeds and tarantulas so i like that i like the fact that there is that conflict where this guy alex rogan has the capability but does he believe in himself and it's a really again it's a common ideology it's a common theme a common uh whatever you want to call it to be able to attach us to this character and at the same time believe yep he absolutely can because even when they send out the prototype gun star by the way which i thought was a great touch that i don't think the other gun stars that got destroyed had death blossom i think that was the the weapons upgrade but even when he goes out and he looks at the heads up display he says oh yeah this is just like back home Again, we believe that because he's beaten the game. And so all those things come together to make me think, I can believe all this stuff is happening, but I don't need to have all the backstory unless I really do want to get into the history of Rylos at some point through novel or through comic book or whatever. I'm fine with what I get. It's enough for me to believe the story that's being told and to be invested in the characters enough. I could not co-sign that more i 100 percent agree with you i mean everything has to be an ip and like exploded into series and movies and video games and it has to have offshoot like you said comic books and books and like everything wants to make money right this is just a story and that doesn't mean i wouldn't like maybe a little more maybe maybe but it is i think elevated 
because there isn't more because it's like you said you get to fill in the blanks you can just make it up and figure it out and it doesn't matter because it didn't matter to alex at the time what mattered to alex what mattered to alex's story was what we saw he got a snapshot that there's a bigger galaxy out there and that there's a war and the earth is in danger and that he ends up becoming inexplicably the last hope what are you gonna do you don't need to know the political details of all of galactic history in order to make a decision, right? And go do the thing. And then put yourself in a position to go do more of the thing, which is really the end of what we needed to get for him in this movie. Like he it's he wants we we meet him, he's frustrated. The first thing we learn about him is he wants to get out. The end of the movie, he gets out. Like that's A to B. That's the story, right? Saving Earth was just the means in which he ended up finding a way to get out of the trailer park and go explore an adventure of sorts. And so, yeah, it's it really it's so well done and so compacted. It's so great. And I love that the big quotes in this movie, the important life lesson things, to me, they're really subtle and they're not like called attention to in the way that a lot of films try to kind of make you think that they're smart. In fact, in both of them, they're almost kind of like said offhandedly. The two that, that really stick to me or stick out to me rather. And that is when Centauri is talking to him and Alex, like, I'm not one of those guys. I'm just a kid from the trailer park. And Centauri just says, if that's what you think, then that's all you'll ever be. And he leaves it at that. That's it. He doesn't launch into an entire paragraph long monologue to try and talk him out of it he just says if that's what you think then that's all you'll ever be and to me that's how reality works a lot of times that's the best way is you just make somebody you plant that seed let somebody think about something in a different way and the other fun one is with grig and the gunstar right and they're like talking about going up there and alex is like we're just one gunstar against the armada and grig's like yes one gun star against the Armada. I've always wanted to fight a desperate battle against the odds. And I love that. I love it because Patrick, it's so rare. He's not overly optimistic. Many films would have this character be like, don't worry, Alex, we are going to succeed because we are champions, right? There's that angle. Then there's the other extreme, which a lot of films would do, and that's the we're going to die a good death, right? We're going to sacrifice for the greater good. Greg just says, I'm ready to go try. I'm ready to go have fun. Let's let's give it a shot and see what happens. It's going to be wild. <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. I'm with you doing it. And I just love it, man. It makes their relationship so natural feeling. Like everything about <laughs> this movie is just natural feeling yeah. and not overproduced in the way that I think we've become so incredibly used to. Yeah, one of the things that makes that Griggs character fun for me is the fact that he has a great kind of levity to him where <laughs> the way that's terrible. I can't the, do it. <laughs> so bad. What was that? I don't know <laughs> what up. that was. That was my Greg. What's <laughs> <laughs> your day job? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> are, you having a, are you having an attack over there? What's happening? <laughs> oh gosh! I think watching again. I think mostly it's it's fun to hear half these alien creatures have British accents. I think it's just really a lot of fun. And um, but Greg, especially the way that that he del- uh, Dano Hurley Hurley is his last name. Uh, again, one of the one of the many actors that we don't see much of prior to this or after. Um, the way he delivers his lines is really really cool because in that moment he he delivers it in sort of an exasperated way, not not hopeless, but like it's almost like he's just like hopeful in this. Like I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that this is what we need to do. And I'm um, I think for him, I think he was grateful to have somebody with him. Because he was not, he he wasn't at the briefing. He wasn't sitting there with those guys. Now he is a starfighter, obviously, or maybe he is. I think I feel like he's a, I feel like he's kind of like the Han Solo, but with with more optimistic kind of thing. In that he feels kind of like 
thrown into this and that he's willing to to do whatever it takes but he you know the way he looks like into the stars when he makes that line i thought was it kind of reinforced how he was feeling but then you know there are other times earlier in the movie when he he's talking to alex and he's like this is all highly irregular or when he comes down at the end of the movie and half people are like it's a monster he goes monster <laughs> and i love the fact that one of my favorite lines is between him and Lewis, where he goes, you must be Lewis. I've heard good things about you. And Lewis goes, hey, you hear that slime? I'm famous. Like, I would do that. I would have no qualms about being that arrogant. It's Extra just... funny that he's talking to Will Wheaton. Ha! <laughs> 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 Who's laughing now, kid? Lewis? Oh, burn. <laughs> so, but I think that all these characters, uh, particularly, but particularly Centauri and Grig, really help solidify with Alex as part. Of, they're they're his companions. I mean, to be honest, I mean they are his his uh, Mary and and Pippin, in terms of just being the guys that are encouraging him. I, I like the fact that you know again, this is one of those nice '80s wrap up endings where Centauri doesn't die. You know, I was sad when he died, and I was happy when he regenerated or whatever it was that he does because he's some crazy alien that can change his face with a handkerchief so and again not explained which makes it interesting i don't get an anatomy lesson and that's fine yeah yeah so there's just a lot here that i think is you know i want to say this is kind of in the vein of john carpenter with practical effects because you know nick castle and john carpenter were were friends they knew each other i don't know if carpenter consulted or anything on this but i remember there was there's definitely a personal relationship between the two of them. And those practical effects came out, like in particular when when Alex, as the pre-beta unit, he was just a doll at that point. He was <laughs> under the covers and Maggie's like, Alex, I'm sorry to hear about the loan. And <laughs> and Lewis is like, he's been up all night moaning. And when Alex pulls the, or the beta unit pulls the blanket off, you can see like the, the oh, that's really gross. But even when, um, even when Centauri, you know, he's, wiping his face off and you can see it on the face off sorry little little rabbit there uh when he when he pulls his uh his mask off you can see you know the remnants and alex is like what is that what's going on and, and of course he looks back like what are you doing and you know just little jump scares like that i think that there's a little carpenter-esque stuff going on throughout the movie even the zandozan what a great uh creature design for 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 that character i think i want to say i read that that character design or that that monster design was a reject from one of the alien movies or a predator or something like that but love that it's used here love the transition it's its own unique eye size and and spacing appropriate binoculars like (laughs) it feels like such a small detail like but of course if this thing is using binoculars they would have to fit its eyeball structure they're not a pair of our our binoculars they are a uniquely right. designed version and i like that too yeah and i, I love the gun i like the the gun that the zandazan uses that's kind of cool like that he yeah. lasers like a that body tell you snatcher. who's good and who's bad like yeah. in the, 80, the 80s did that <laughs> blue yes. lasers are good Absolutely. red lasers are bad <laughs> exactly <laughs> all good stuff man well, before we the finish score, up the conversation, the score. Oh, by the way. yes, let's talk so, about that. Yes, Craig Saffin did the score for this, and I think it's incredibly underrated because it's a beautiful theme, and I think it it really just hits the adventurous notes that you want when you're in space, and it keeps it adventurous. There's a difference in epic and action and adventure, and this feels adventurous, and then it swells it has that orchestration that swells to a really kind of emotional feeling out of just being in awe about what you're seeing take place and i think it helps so much when you know the visuals can only do so much because it's 1984 and 84 right not 82 i think you said 84 Um, 84. and so yeah so like you it really assists your senses in kind of being mesmerized by Alex going to space. And I, I just thought it was something that stuck out to me this time around. 
uh, and deserve to be given a little bit of praise. I'm glad you did. And I, I remember, I think I watched this Friday night or Saturday night. Yeah, it was last night I watched it. And I was whistling in my, you know, throughout the day. And I can't do it justice because it's just that. I mean, it's just, it feels, feels big, but it feels, again, it feels appropriately sized for this movie. And, uh, oh gosh, I could just hum it, you know, for the rest of the night. And I'm not going to, because you're not here to listen to me hum. You're here to hear this conversation. So there it is. (laughs) Aaron, you mentioned that we talked a little bit about the idea of a remake or, you know, what would it look like today? There has been talk, and I looked on the interwebs about the idea of a sequel actually happening, because this movie, of course, sets up this idea. You've got, I guess, the intergalactic president or whoever it is saying, all of Rados is behind you, you know, and he's trying to get him to rebuild the Star League. Yeah. and Came back uh, to Top Gun to be an instructor. (laughs) Is this where it goes? Is this what? Literally the same concept. He, well, yeah. not not that Ma- Maverick didn't save the world from you know, a petulant <laughs> son who wanted to destroy it with a meteor gun. But point being is he's basically going to go back and stand up a Starfleet Academy and teach new pilots is what they want him yeah. to do. After one yeah. incredible act, which is what happened to Maverick, he had one moment with the MiGs randomly out there in the Indian Ocean <laughs> in an undisclosed location that's classified. And then he was like, oh, man, you're you're it. You did it one time like nobody else has gotten a chance to do it. So therefore you are it. So now you get to be the, t- the teacher. Anyway, I'm still in my Top Gun zone. My, it's That's my danger good. zone. Is it the danger just, zone? Okay. Yeah. It's Only it's not really. It's like the, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing sequel. And I love the original, too. And happy zone. <laughs> carry on. OK. Sequel, well, remake, carry on. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think that there is some concept art that's out there. And there's been talk about an actual sequel coming out. There was news back in 2020. And I don't know if anything's going to come of this. I don't know if it's just continuously kind of talk. But I did watch some concept art trailer stuff that kind of had me intrigued. Now, this, for my money, this definitely makes it bigger. Obviously, we're so many years later. We have bigger budgets. We have what you have said is probably not the best thing for a. Uh, you know, a concept like this that, you know, bigger isn't always better, but that's kind of how it has to go because we're now leaving Earth and we're going into the world that we've been introduced to. So what do you think about that? Would you see a sequel? Would you be down with that? I would be nervous simply because I'm always going to be nervous with, I think the new term is like legacy sequel, legacy sequel. That's what Top Gun Maverick is. That's what Blade Runner 2049 was. And we've been getting a ton of these, and a lot of them don't work. But Top Gun Maverick, Blade Runner 2049 are two examples of ones that Trump. are... <clears throat> what? What? Sorry. Tron oh. Legacy. Tron Legacy, yes. That's another one. Three examples of all-time favorite movies that came from movies that I already loved as well. So it can be done. Uh, the sizzle reel you're talking about is really intriguing, and it was from spring of 2021, and Gary Whitta, who was the screenwriter or a screenwriter on Rogue One, put that out. Gary Whitta is also a member of the Kind of Funny video game podcast crew, so I'm very familiar with him from there. I actually knew him there before I learned that he was a screenwriter <laughs> in his like, actual job because he's like a co-host of their daily show sometimes, which was a really weird connection. But apparently this script that the sizzle reel came from was co-written with Jonathan uh, Betwell, who was the original screenwriter of The Last Starfighter. So I like that. I like it when they include the people who came up with the characters or the originals in the legacy material. I think that that you know, gives me a little more hope. They asked, also had the original composer as part of the crew that was doing the music for this sizzle reel. So it feels to me like it. they really want to do some sort of honorable continuation here. They they have a love of the material because they're bringing these people in. They're not just trying to like capitalize on an IP. And I think that this one is obscure enough because there are a lot of people that love it, but it is not by any means the most well-known movie or the most beloved 
movie that's getting a sequel. This is not of the quote quality of a Blade Runner or the cultish following of a Top Gun. And so I think that there's room here where it could be done. And yes, I would watch it. Hands down, I would be excited to check it out. Reluctantly, cautiously, optimistic, as I tend to be with these things. But I've had enough hits now with the three that we just mentioned that I have to stop being as pessimistic as I have put forth in the past and saying that they always don't work. There's plenty of examples of ones that don't that I could run off, but I've had three huge hits in my opinion. And so it can be done. And I think that the universe does have the interesting flavor to be expanded and explored further. And it would be neat to go visit Alex if they did it kind of like a Top Gun Maverick now, right? Or Blade Runner 2049. Like, where is Alex? However many, what, 30 years, 40 years later he's been out? What has Alex been up to in 40 years? And not necessarily focus it on him, but tell the story in hindsight a little bit of, it's a whole different world. Like there's probably an armada. He probably stood it up. He probably taught all these young fighter pilots. They probably had some adventures and did all kinds of things. And now what, what is the natural progression of where the galaxy has gone? And what is the new threat that the thing that he built now has to face off against? And so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I I could talk myself into it, man. I really could, especially for this last year. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on all that. I think the fact that it would be so far removed from the original, the fact that the guys behind it are really trying to bring in the original components that made the first movie good, and the fact that it's somewhat obscure, I think lends itself to having something that feels fresh, kind of like what we talked about with Mary Poppins Returns. It feels more like a reboot than a sequel i think that the last starfighter could or the sequel could feel equally as or ghostbusters afterlife i think it would feel like that where you'd have components from the original that would work to push a story forward that feels like a fresh update of a property and i could be i could be okay with that i I like that idea my biggest question that's going to come from this that has come from this is what about granny Okay, that's that's all I'm really worried about. You know, I'm with Maggie. You know, what about Bro, Granny? Granny, it it's been 40 years. I think I think she's got. I think I don't think some, Granny. She had some fervor. She she was lively. Yeah, well, unless she got brought up to the starship and given some sort of life preserving thing, Granny might have moved on. No, they made a Maybe. beta unit out of her. She's fine. <laughs> they, they actually yeah Maybe see that's a really a cool concept we even talk about that much but that's that's another really neat thing that they don't go into super deep but it's just really cool we know just enough how our, our interest is piqued by robots enough to be like oh my gosh what a cool neat and there's a emotional death there that's the one yeah we do get other than the codans which i love the way they go out they're kind of at least somewhat honorable in a way when yeah. the one guy's like, we're locked into the gravitational pull of the moon. What do we do? And the general guy's like, <laughs> we die. We die. <laughs> and then they just <laughs> stare at each other until they blow up. Anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be cool, man. Good stuff, man. Well, that's it for this edition of Feelin' Film. Join us next week where we stay on this planet, but hit the skies with 1986's Iron Eagle, complete with one of my favorite lines in the movie, this is the bluebird. I've been ready to refuel. <laughs> is that your chappy? No, that is my Doug Masters imitating. That was Doug Masters. Oh, that's right. Doug yeah. Masters was imitating. Yeah. Okay. Imitating uh, what's his face from the pizza joint. <laughs> yes, that's right. okay. <laughs> Which I didn't get the I didn't get the hilarity of it until I was an adult when he was like, okay. "Oh, I see what he's doing. He's imitating the." <laughs> The, the blues guy, you know, it's like yes. more like him. <laughs> Lots of great funny lines in there. That's one of my favorites, though. So <laughs> you'll look forward to that. I hope you, Aaron, and I everybody do. else that's listening. <laughs> All right, Aaron, thanks for a great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. 
you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.